Okay, how are we doing? I just wanted to share some thoughts that uh, I've been mulling over in my head during the sabbatical. Um, next week, I'm uh, going to develop those thoughts a little, a little bit more as we start or at least introduce our next preaching series that will take us right through into probably well into 2020. Um, we have Christmas in between. But right back at the beginning of the year, if you can cast your mind that far back, we said that this year was all about positioning ourselves for all that God wanted to do in us and through us. It was positioning ourselves. He is the light. We want to position ourselves in the light in preparation for everything that God wanted to do for us. And part of that was my sabbatical. And uh, so off I went with a cry in my heart, God, give me fresh vision Give me fresh strategy. Give me plans for the next season. And it went on like that for a little while. I did a lot of DIY, an awful lot of DIY. But eventually God broke in and kind of challenged me. I think, uh, like Alicia was saying, kind of told me off a little bit. And, you know, sometimes God does that. He lets us get on with our own thing, you know, and then will you listen to me? Will you listen? And finally we go... Oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to you. And basically what I felt God say was stop looking for fresh revelation and start embracing the revelation. The revelation. The revelation of my son. His finished work on the cross, purifying our sins for all time. The fact that he has raised, is raising up a church full of the Holy Spirit to do and continue to do his work, restoring relationships, setting captives free. This is the vision. It's me. It's Jesus. And it's almost embarrassingly simple, isn't it? Because true biblical vision in its purest form, perhaps, certainly I think its most wonderful form, is simply seeing Jesus. It's seeing Jesus, looking to Jesus, following Jesus, even when it is uncomfortable and even when we don't know what the next step is. It's just looking to him. And, and I'm sure there's many of us here who know that good things, when they become the sole focus of our passions, when they consume our vision, even good things can become very unhealthy things. I just was so impressed with the testimony of our young people because I remember at that age passing exams, getting a university place or getting a placement in, in work was, was it. That was the be all and end all. I couldn't see past that. And yet to hear them say, actually, there's something bigger here at play is Jesus. It's my relationship with him, and I can trust that he's got a place for me. He's got a path for my life. I was so impressed with that. That impression, that, that illustration of the Gruffalo. Love that. It's Jesus. You know, even ministry, serving the poor, serving the church, even church planting, if they become the sole focus and passion and our reason for being, then that's actually unhealthy. That becomes an idol. That actually distances ourselves 
from our relationship and intimacy with God. And so for me, it was very timely, I think, to take a a step back, step out of of the role for a bit. I, I sensed that I was going from kind of one job to the next. And so I booked a little boat and stayed on a little boat for a while. Highly recommended, apart from getting woken up at five in the morning by swans tapping on your window. But it was amazing. And all I did was simply prayed, walked along the towpath, and journaled things that God was saying to me. Not for the church, I'm really sorry, but just for me. Not even as my role as a pastor, or a dad, or a husband, but just as a child of God. And I was just listening to my father's voice, writing things down, things just for me. I felt God wanted to get me off the hamster wheel. And I think the challenge for us, of course, challenge for me is to remain in that place now I'm back at work. But I think this season, September, can be really, really busy. I mean, for some of us, we haven't had a break over summer. Maybe you're hoping for a break later on in the autumn. But for many of us, September, you kind of have to hit the ground running. And it can be very, very easy to get into busy mode and to start being task-orientated and totally task-obsessed. And I just really want to encourage all of us, particularly myself, as I step back into uh, serving the church in this particular role, that actually let's just keep Jesus our sole focus Whatever else is going on, we have to focus on Jesus. So I'm really sorry, but I haven't come back from sabbatical with a six-point strategy plan for the next three months. I've come back with just one. (laughs) Just one. And that is whatever circumstances, whatever challenges that come our way, we're going to look to Jesus. Amen? Amen. No matter how unlikely the next step looks, we're going to, in faith, take that step and the next and the next following him. Because I believe the key to gaining clear vision for the way forward is simply learning to be in his presence. And that needs to be enough. That needs to be enough for us. As a church, we're not called to look to anyone's personal agenda or preference or even passions, but actually we're called to look to Jesus. And as your pastor, that is my desire for all of us. Together, we look to Jesus. Yes, he has individual particular callings, but he also has corporate callings on us as a church. And together, we look to him. Daniel 11, 32 says, it is those who know their God, who will do great exploits. We all want to do great exploits, don't we? The key is to just to really get to know our God. And of course, this is what, how Jesus lived on earth, wasn't it? What did he do? What was his vision? What was his strategy for his mission? He knew very clearly why he came. He came to be a sacrifice, to die for our sins on the cross. What was his strategy while he was there? John 5, 19, he tells us, Very truly, I tell you, 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does also. What was Jesus modeling? He was modeling, my gaze is just on my father. Whatever he does, I do. That was his simple strategy. I do what my father does. He followed his father's lead one step at a time. And one story that God's been really speaking to me about is the healing of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. You know, one day as Jesus was about to leave Jericho, a blind beggar called out to him and, and, and called him by his messianic title. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He was declaring he knew who Jesus really was. He was of the royal line of David. He was the promised Messiah. I know who you are. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in the time we've got left, I do want to be quick. We're just going to read that passage, and then I just want to draw a couple of things out from it. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. It's good, wasn't it, this morning, as Michaela reminded us, Jesus calls our name. (laughs) He calls our name. He sees you and he calls you by name. So they stopped and called the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. You know, the irony of this story, of course, is the physically blind Bartimaeus was the most spiritually sighted one there. He saw Jesus. He knew who Jesus really was, and nothing would stop him getting to Jesus. Jesus filled his vision. And we see from this story, when Jesus fills your vision, not even your healing, not your career, Not your university place, but when Jesus fills your vision, a couple of key things happen that we see in this story. Firstly, our limitations stop defining us, but Jesus does. You know, when Jesus stopped and looked at him, we see that he jumps to his feet, throwing his cloak off. And and for all of Bartimaeus' life, what would he have been told? Well, the religious elites would have told him, you deserve to be where you are. You know, it's because of either your sin or your family's sin that you are a blind beggar. You are where you, are, where you deserve to be. He was despised. He was marginalized. He was dishonored. Begging in the dirt, that was his identity. Undeserving, sinful, 
beggar. At least that is what he was told, probably every day of his life. And then Mark adds this little nugget of information. It's like, we're told his name, Bartimaeus, simply means son of Timaeus. Why, why does Mark highlight that out? Well, if you look at the Greek for the word Timaeus, I mean, commentators have different views on this, but it seems to me that the root can come from two opposite meanings. It can either mean highly prized, valued, honoured, or it can mean despised, worthless, shamed, depending on how they use it. And I wonder if Mark here is just trying to highlight the point that when Jesus comes to us, when we encounter Jesus, he lifts us out of dishonor. He lifts us out of shame. He gives us a new identity, child of God, dearly loved, significant, honored. And when Jesus fills our gaze, we start to see ourselves in his light and in his grace and not through the lens of shame, not through the filter of labels we have lived with or even roles that we've tried to live up to. We see ourselves in the light of him. You know, Bartimaeus could have so easily have given in to those voices, telling him to shut up. Who do you think you are? It's like, oh, actually, you're right. Yeah, I'm just a despised beggar. Silly me. Why would he be interested in me? And yet, no, Jesus filled his vision, his gaze. He refused to shut up. He refused to be limited either by his own view of himself or the view of others what other people thought of him. He refused to be limited by that because Jesus filled his vision. Secondly, we see when Jesus fills your vision, faith comes. It's very clear here, isn't it? And we're told he throws his cloak off. You know, what's, again, what, it's a nice bit of detail, Mark. But again, if you think about what that cloak was, what was the significance of that cloak? Well, it was probably his only possession of any use or value. It's what kept him warm at night. It was his security, his bed, his protection. In fact, we're told that cloaks, well, right the way through Jewish history, were so important, so valuable. I think it's Exodus 22, it's written in, that even if you lend someone your cloak, by law, they had to return it to you by sundown because you couldn't be without your cloak at night. It was written in law. On top of that, the cloak would have been what he used to lay out in front of him for people to throw coins into. It was his livelihood. He would spread his cloak out. People would throw coins. He would wrap the cloak up and, dis and discover what he had to live off. And yet when he saw Jesus, I think this ties in with what some of the testimonies were saying about our experience in the Philippines. You know, his most precious possession, the thing that gave him security and warmth and comfort, his life support, if you like, was just cast aside because of Jesus. I don't need that anymore. 
I don't have to depend on that anymore. You know, in many ways, that cloak represented his old identity. And he, in a, he needed to lay it aside, perhaps, for faith to come to say, Jesus, will you heal me? He had to lay that aside first. I lay aside the things I put my comfort and security in. For years, I lay it aside. And faith came to ask Jesus, I want to see. But again, very tellingly, I'm racing on because I know the time. Verse 52, it doesn't stop with a healing. Because his healing wasn't the be-all and end-all. We read, he follows Jesus. He follows Jesus. You know, being healed from blindness is life-changing enough, isn't it? You think, brilliant, I can leave my life of begging. I can turn my life around. Maybe I can get a job. Thank you, Jesus. I'm off. But no, because his vision didn't stop with being able to physically see. Again, it was Jesus. Thank you for my sight. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Being with Jesus wherever he went, because he knew where his real security lay. He knew where his future lay. And very briefly, three things, three calls, if you like, applications, if you like, that I just want to bring, that God's been speaking to me, and I think this is very key for us in this next season. I think God is calling us very much to make sure that we place our comfort and our security in him. Again, as I said, and as has been said, one of the striking things, one of the take-homes of visiting believers in the Philippines was how grateful to God they were, despite incredibly difficult hardships, despite disappointments and blows. And I think part of the reason we don't see that same effervescent, overflowing gratitude is perhaps because we tend to prioritize comfort and well-being and security in and of itself over Jesus, perhaps, particularly in the West. And... uh, a guy called Tom Shaw, who's planting in um, San Francisco, he's a New Frontiers pastor. He's written a book. And I just saw one of the quotes that just leapt out as I was thinking about this. He says this, When we pursue comfort in and of itself, entitlement, boredom, and an inability to be thankful slowly creep in. I wonder if we recognize any of those sense of entitlement, boredom, inability to be thankful when we pursue comfort in and of itself. And and again, what I saw in the Philippines is, is, is like Bartimaeus throwing off his cloak, their comfort, their hope was solely rooted in Jesus. There was a, a, a wonderful girl who led us in worship called Charlotte. And I mean, the guys can testify her face was just glowed with life and light. The smile was enormous. 
The way she led us in worship was just beautiful. And then we broke for a time of prayer. Can I just say they are really open in, in receiving prayer? They're just all up. Yeah, we'll pray for each other. Yeah, we, we, we want more of God. It's just, there's that beautiful hunger. She shared, I can't remember who she shared with. Who was it? Was it John? Her, her family home was about to be bulldozed because the government are widening the roads. So it's like, your, your house is in the way. It's going to be bulldozed. I mean, there's not many of us that have sort of struggles along those lines. And this, she was leading worship full of gratitude, full of praise, because she knew God had it in hand. And he did actually, didn't he? I think there was a resolution to that. Beautiful. can ask these guys later what it was. But it was just her comfort, her security, rooted in Jesus. Because true, real comfort, real security is rooted in a real relationship with him. Not in and of itself. Make sure we are placing our security and our comfort in Jesus. Secondly, it's a call to be a people of faith. So I said faith is right the way through this. You know, I think one way we can be very countercultural very easily is by being people of faith at this time, particularly in our nation where you're just like, what is going on? Not just our nation, but the nations. And yet we can model something incredibly countercultural when faith in politics, faith in finance, Faith in the future is at an all-time low. What a wonderful opportunity for saying, well, we've got a faith and a hope in somebody who never fails, who never lies, who never lets us down, and who is and will continue to restore all things to himself. That is a wonderful message of hope. You know, our hope isn't wishful thinking. It's got substance. Why? Because it's full of faith. Faith gives substance to our hope. It's anchored not on circumstances turning out the way we want, in or out, deal or no deal. It's not even anchored to that. It's anchored onto Jesus. So countercultural in our conversation, in the way we talk, in the way we encounter other people. We can be a people of faith. You know, like Bartimaeus, let's not give in to the negativity around us. Let's keep pushing on and declaring the truth of who Jesus is. It calls us to watch our conversation, watch what comes out of our mouth. And, and to equip us for this next season, we're going to be going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to dig deep in the book of Hebrews. And uh, I really believe that not only will that help us grow in our understanding of the finished work of Jesus, that actually we can rest in that. We don't have to strive because he's done it. He has sat down. But also we can grow in robust faith, how we live out of that, that our faith is in the faithful one. So really looking forward to that as we dig deep into the book of Hebrews. I think it will build on what you guys have been going through, looking at Luke, Jesus' work, and what we're called to be and do as disciples, and how it's an impossible work unless we're empowered with the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people of the Spirit. We also need to be a people of faith, because we experience the Holy Spirit through faith. So really looking forward to that. Finally, I believe there's a call here to push past our own limitations 
again, like Bartimaeus, push past the labels that have been put on us, push past the labels we have put on ourselves. Who defines you? Jesus defines you. And you know what? God always calls us beyond ourselves. He always does. The call to follow him is a supernatural call. As I said, it's an impossible call outside of his power and enabling. We need to know that. And not look to the limitations, but again, gaze fixated on Jesus. Many of you will know we're looking to plant into Epsom next year. And, you know, we can look at our numbers and think, wow, we struggle to fill a rotor on a Sunday. How are we going to plant a church? We can look at our finances and think, well, kind of what comes in is going out. How can we afford this? There's a lot of limitations that we can look to. Or we can look to Jesus, to the one who has called us into every community, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, and say, God, this is your work. Again, that came through one of the testimonies with the youth. This is God's work. We get to play a part in it. You know, he's the same God who stripped Gideon down to 300 men to fight a multitude just so that they didn't boast in their own strategies and might and plans and military prowess. The fact that Gideon says, hey, I can gather a multitude, look at me. Stripped them down so that they could boast in God, in his power, in his might. We can look to limitations. Like Peter stepping out of the boat. You can either look to the waves. You can look to physics and go, this isn't possible. Or we can look to Jesus and do the miraculous. That's what we're called to do as a church. Look to Jesus and do the miraculous. It's been so good to hear the testimonies from our young people, from what God's spoken to people over the Philippines. Again, do keep praying for International Gospel Center and for Sea and Sun, just the ministry they're doing there. We've got a wonderful partnership there now. But also let's pray for us as a church that we will be those who fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Because you know what? He is able. He will do it. He will do it. Jesus, we just ask that you will be our vision. Thank you for the privilege of being called by the King of Kings. You call each one here by name. Those who are far off, those who are near, you still call us. Lord, I pray, however old or however young we are, we will not be defined by our limitations, but we will be defined by who you say we are and what you've called us to. Lord, in this busy season, I pray, help us to even lay things down that perhaps have become idols. Help us not to get our validation or our significance 
in anything other than you. Lord, we throw aside our cloaks and we say, Jesus, I follow you. I follow you. Amen.